can you recall the last time you heard someone look at a piece of art and say something along the lines of, my kid could do that? <laughs> oh, my uh, God. Um, I, I, I can't recall the last time, but something along those lines was definitely said uh, around the spring of 2013 when I saw Brackage's films uh, for the first time in class, uh, for sure. Um, particularly uh, his his painting on celluloid stuff, that was definitely the sentiment amongst a lot of your kind of intro to the history and theory of cinema uh, crowd was uh, a kind of my kid could do that sort of a vibe. Yeah, I mean, walking around museums, like especially in New York, like if you go to the Whitney or, or something like that, you definitely hear snippets of conversation from people where they look at a painting and they're like, why is this on the wall? Like, why do they have this? Why is this important? And you, you know depending on what mood I'd be in the day, it's either like an angering experience or it's kind of amusing and funny. You know what I mean? But uh, yeah, I try not to spend too much time on that because then the rumination cycle flows. <laughs> so, you know. All right. I ask this because we are talking about an artist that is not split picks, general terrain. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm being joined today by two familiar voices. We have... Robert Delaney, who's the co-host of the Art House Drive-In. Rob, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. How are you? I am good. Portland is no longer icy, so, you know, we we have internet again. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> and we have Bennett Glaze, who's the co-host of Real Rap and a longtime split-tooth contributor. Bennett, how are you doing? Uh, not too bad. Uh, Philly attitude is still, uh, still going strong. Uh, living large and in charge over here. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All right. So this show definitely started as a podcast that was geared mostly towards rock and punk rock music, especially. Today, we're going in a completely different direction, um, though we are covering an artist who flaunts the rules of established film practices in a way that I think most punks would probably not be able to emulate. <laughs> so <laughs> we're talking about a legendary filmmaker today who has done pretty much everything you can imagine in film from seconds long animated works to a four-hour film he's painted on films he's filmed what goes on in morgues he's attached moths to film strips and in the process he has aimed to redefine what it means to see understand and interpret basically how images meet our eyes this is stan brockage we're talking about today and both of you guys selected one of his films to cover so rob do you want to at least introduce the film and just why you chose that one. Sure. So I chose uh, Delicacies of Molten Horror Synapse, which is a bit of a mouthful. Um, it was made in 1990, and it sort of represents to me the the modified film strip side of Brackage or the, the painted on film strip side of Brackage because it's mostly um, abstract, I guess, animation, you could say. And um, it sort of embodies a big part of his career with other films like Mothlight, where he modified the film strip, or Dante Quartet, where he painted on it, or Stellar, like music. You can go on and on and on. Um, and so that's a big part of sort of he who he was as an artist, like in technical terms, I guess. Perfect. Bennett, what was your selection? And I, uh, I, I picked a film from uh, a little later in Brackage's career, uh, from 96, though I've seen 97 listed, uh, Commingled Containers. Um, I picked it, uh, it was a film I saw in class when I was first introduced to his work, and um, I don't know, I, uh, it, it's my most logged film on Letterboxd. I think I'm up to 27 uh, <laughs> views oh, wow. now, which is quite a lot. Um, 
I watch it in like any context. If I'm if I'm in a good mood, I, I throw on commingle containers. If I'm in a bad mood, I throw on commingle containers. If I'm trying to fall asleep, uh, if I if I woke up too early, I need to kill time before work. I throw on commingle containers. It uh, I don't know it never fails to uh, thrill and inspire. All right, so I think before we dive into each of these films, this guy has had a very long career. That, like I said, he's done a bit of everything. So let's start with the basics. Where and when did you first watch a Stan Brackage film? And if you remember, which one was it? I first watched Mothlight, actually. Interestingly enough, I used to talk about this a lot on Real Rap. I, uh, my earliest like cinephilia was on the IMDb message boards. And one time on the Oscar Buzz forum, we were doing this thing. It was This would have been 2010 because it was a World Cup year. We were doing this like Director's World Cup. So people like picked a director and like picked films and people would vote to them. It never went past the first round. I think it just kind of like died on the vine. But um, whoever picked Brackage had picked like Mothlight as their round one selection. So I downloaded Mothlight on like Demonoid uh, as like a 16 year old. Um, and that was honestly, I think probably the first avant-garde, uh, a, a term that Brackage himself abhorred, uh, first avant-garde film that I saw. And then I, you know, I ended up being kind of introduced to him more formally uh, in a classroom setting uh, at Hamilton College a few years later. So what was your initial reaction to it? Because that is famously the film where he, I'm not sure if he taped it or what he did to get the pieces of mods on the film strip, but that's one of his more famous works. You know, at the time, I think I was probably uh, of two minds about it. I think I was probably a little bit um my kid could paint that about it i think i probably had a little bit of like oh wow that well i I try to be a little bit more positive i think i i probably thought i wish i'd thought of it was more where i went there um i I believe mothlight was constructed he took like two pieces of tape and put uh like moth wings and detritus between them and, and kind of used those two pieces of tape the way you would a film strip um and then uh but i i was also a, a, a little surprised to see that this was on like the thousand best films of all time list I, i'll admit um, it wasn't until kind of i don't know being introduced to him in, in an academic setting that i really started to think more deeply about it had the um had the director's world cup continued i might have <laughs> i might have had more <laughs> more opportunity to kind of wrestle with brackage's work as a 16 year old but at the time i think i was a, a little perplexed yeah, that was the first one I saw as well, and I kind of had the same reaction. Like, I know this is brilliant, but I don't comprehend it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Rob, what about you? What was your first Brackage film? So I think luckily for me, it was deeper into my sort of film studies career, in quotations, I guess. And uh, I'd already found people like Norman McLaren, or who sort of I fell in love with his work and Be Gone Del Care and like sort of that side of abstract animation and i think i i think i like stumbled upon mothlight online and watched it and immediately was like oh this is immediately one of my favorite films that i've ever seen which i do not think i would have had that reaction if i saw it in like high school or i saw it early on at bu or something you know in undergrad or something like that and then I sort of revisited it later at NYU because they showed it in an avant-garde film class and they showed it in the film theory class. They were just showing it all over the place there. And I remember a lot of the people being really sort of taken aback. There was no one that was like, oh, this is this is BS or something. But I think th- there were not a lot of hands shooting up to speak about it, I guess, in the, the class participation uh, portion of the day. But I think, you know, 
it, it's a film that you I definitely appreciated more with like spending more time with it. I guess I could say, you know. See, it's interesting you mentioned that no one really had anything to say about it because like I was talking with my brother Brett, who's obviously the film editor for Split Tooth, and he was saying the first college class he took where they showed Mothlight, he said it ended and no one really raised their hand at all and the teacher just kind of said well it's better if you watch on a projector like with the film running <laughs> so you can hear the the mods and stuff and he said that just kind of like killed the conversation um i had the same teacher a few years later we did not watch that film so <laughs> <laughs> i think he might have scratched it from the from the curriculum but bennett you took classes with scott mcdonald who's you know a well-known film scholar in college and what was it like learning about Brackage's work from someone who has, you know, a, a well-known reputation in the field. Uh, yeah, it was incredible, and I, um, I think one of my favorite pieces of writing about film, at, at all, uh, in any context, is um, upon Brackage's passing in um, 2003, um, Scott uh, published kind of a excerpted version of uh, the uh, interview he'd conducted with with Brackage back in um, his. Uh, collection of interviews uh, a critical cinema for and in his introduction he talks about his like uncertainty as like a scholar like trying to come to terms with like both the breadth and the importance of Brackage's work and um, I don't know I, I I found that really charming reading that um, and and knowing that your professor like you had this sort of uh, I don't know like feeling of self-doubt when faced with like the immensity of this body of work um, and I don't know, as, as a teacher, he tended to, to, to make the stuff really come alive. And I don't know, you mentioned a professor talking about um, how, how it's so different to watch Projected. And I even wrote that in my notes. Um, I, the real elephant in the room with like talking about these films is that, I don't know, in watching them on our phones and computers, we are losing both the uh, immensity of the, the, the projected image and also that fragility of the, the projection, the, the sort of shaking uh, the the sound of kind of moth's wings uh, when you hear it kind of passing through the projection, it's uh, it's an incredible experience and I think um, I think Scott communicated really well that um, Brackage captured better than just about anybody the uh, I don't know devotional and spiritual qualities of uh, not just artistic production and uh, consumption but of um, cinema in particular. So to keep it in the academic realm, like I took a history of jazz class in college and the first probably two weeks of this class were literally called how to listen to jazz. I think it's important to quickly address, you know, it's an ultra basic, but forever complex question. How do you watch a Stan Brackage film? Rob, uh, if you don't mind, I think, I think Brackage answered this question himself pretty well in uh, his book, Metaphors on Vision. Um, uh, So I'll just quote directly uh, from the man himself. Uh, Imagine an eye unruled by man-made laws of perspective and I unprejudiced by compositional logic, and I which does not respond to the name of everything, but which must know each object encountered in life through an adventure of perception. How many colors are there in a field of grass to the crawling baby unaware of green? How many rainbows can light create for the untutored eye? How aware of variations in heat waves can that eye be? Imagine a world alive with incomprehensible objects and shimmering with an endless variety of movement and innumerable gradations of color. Imagine a world before the beginning was the word. I think we we're born knowing how to watch a Brackage film and uh, the experience of learning how to watch television and learning how to watch Hollywood films uh, teaches you how not to watch a Brackage film. So really, 
I don't know. I, I, I think of watching a Brackage film as just kind of uh, shutting off your eyes and just sort of like letting them do what they're supposed to do. I don't know. That, that sounds both pretentious and anti-intellectual at the same time. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with those sentiments. I mean, reading his writing or, or his words is always so inspiring to me. Like sometimes I go back to the well um, when I'm feeling down and just read some like, you know, quote from someone like Stan Brackage or Robert Gardner or something like that. But I mean, that's, I think going into delicacies, especially, I think when I first watched it this time, I was like, I'm, I'm going to try and know all of the ideas that are swimming around in this film and I'm going to be concentrating super hard and, you know, like a detective almost, but, you know, sort of clearing your mind and opening yourself to just experiencing these things and trying to have the untrained eyes that Brackage wanted to encourage in his viewers is such a, I don't know, it's such a more empowering experience and such a, like a more impactful experience to me than being like, you know, I'm going to go in this and then I'm going to write a 20 page paper. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? This might be a weird question, but one thing I struggle with is I never know where to look on the screen in a Brackage film. I mean, I kind of just settle with like looking at the center and trying to like absorb the whole thing. But like, do you guys find your eyes are drawn to anything in particular with his films or do you just try to absorb it all? I I often try to unfocus my eyes uh, watching his films so as not to feel that need. I, I agree. I think I go in between sort of an unfocused, uh, like gaze, but also, I mean, the last time I watched Delicacies, I, I noticed like certain patterns that he was repeating or pattern patterns that were like interacting with each other. So sometimes I'd let my eyes like sort of be led along by the lines as well and sort of trying to, you know, almost swim along with the, with the, the stimuli, I guess. Like that, I think that's to me when I watch these films, it's, it's between just, you know, letting them happen and then trying to like swim against the current or like with the current, if that makes sense. Why don't we dive into Delicacies and Molten Horror Synapse? This is one of his many painted on film works. I mean, Rob, can you tell me a bit about what that means and how he created this? So it means that he's actually physically painting onto the film strip. So he's not painting on like a cell or something like that. He's actually modifying the the piece of film. And, you know, there are many people. He's not the only one who's done this. There are many people who have done it like um, like Norman McLaren and Len Lai, Steve Wallachian, Harry Smith. and But Stan Brackage is a very sort of famous uh, uh, filmmaker who does this. And for me, I'm very drawn to these films like I mentioned Begone Del Care before by Norman McLaren. I've, I've seen that film probably, you know, like a hundred times or something like that. And um, it's just the boldness of molding the film directly sort of puts all experimentality sort of in perspective for me where, you know, the artists are not just like sort of playing with the formal or ideological boundaries of a film or cinema or whatever. They're, they're molding the actual material not just like a sculptor or something like that because you're not molding it that much but they're interacting with the material instead of trying to capture something and put it on there if that makes sense so it to me it's very inspiring like the depths that these filmmakers go to try and express themselves you know so his films are in a sense a kind of a rorschach test where you know some people see nothing some people see literally mind expanding images unfolding um I admit I struggle with a lot of his work because there's so much going on. So do you want to just kind of walk us through what are the basic ideas of this film? And I know he's spoken about the ideology behind the film, but 
what's happening here. Yeah, so I'm I'm going to read a paragraph that I found everywhere online, and I think Ben and I have both sort of plumbed the depths of the internet to see if this was something he actually said, but it's on every single description um, on every website that it, you know has it, so I'm sure this is maybe something he's written. It looks like something he, he wrote, like the language of it, um, but so I'll read it now. The primary molten horror uh, is TV. There are other horrors metaphored in the film. Uh, four superimposed rolls of hand-painted and bipack television negative imagery are edited so as to approximate the hypnagogic process whereby the optic nerves resist grotesque infusions of luminescent light. So there's a lot to unpack there that, that doesn't really describe the film all that well. But so what ha- I'll describe what happens in the film, I guess, in, in movements where it begins with abstract color and line. And it's sort of, you know, flowing on the screen in this sort of like tornado. And then uh, TV bars will show up and sort of blotchy color will appear on screen or it'll just be completely white. And then the abstraction will sort of bubble up within the TV bars. And it almost seems like the TV bars disappear and then the abstraction starts again. So it's kind of like those are the movements of the film. There's a lot of variation, of course. It's not that simple, but that's, to me, the sort of foundation of of the film. There's also occasionally this, like, tear kind of in the center, which reminds me, um, and at reading, I I guess this is what it was supposed to suggest, it reminded me of when you're at the eye doctor and they shoot that kind of very, very sharp light into your eye, Uh, that experience of kind of, like, seeing the back of your eye. It yeah, is recreated in the film. See, I, I, I had to cheat with this film. It, <laughs> this thing flies by. It's eight minutes and twenty seconds of basically just you know colors being thrown at you. I was watching the Blazer game the other night. They're playing the Lakers, and Damian Lillard went up for a layup. He like you know crosses between two guys, goes up for a layup, takes contact, and it looks like oh you know he just made a shot. But it, when you watch it in slow motion, he got hit on the left. So he has the ball on the right, but then he realized there's room on the left. So he switches hands in midair, throws the ball up after he gets spun around. Then he closed his eyes and he threw it up blind. This made me think, if I watch this on YouTube, I can watch this at half speed. Mm -hmm. One advantage of technology. I know this would be better on a projector. Watching this at half speed, though, it clicked in my brain and it just felt like walking through an art museum. Interesting totally changed how i watched it but the thing that stood out to me most is how he uses just solid black frames mm-hmm. it kind of takes on a subliminal effect when it's super fast but seeing how much of it there actually is i mean what do you make of this use of darkness so to me it's all about rhythm and it's the rhythm that's created uh almost like measures between the color and between the tv bars like this is a great time to talk about how he he thought of music in a very complex way where it wasn't even connected to sound. And I know that sounds crazy. And it's something that I'm, I'm just learning about, to be to be honest. And I'm sort of wrapping my brain around it. But he thought that his films created a type of music where it would be sort of created in your brain from just the stimuli in the film. So he wanted to make sort of visual music or um, like he wanted to sort of embody a stream of consciousness and to me, the the black frames um, are like the rhythm of the film. 
like if you want to you know talk about like percussion or something in a song like when i see those black frames they sort of jump at me and they have this impact that break up you know this simplifies his film like the the melody of the, the color and line which i'm sure he would hate me me saying that because he he's today thinking in the most abstract terms but i know that he wanted his films to have this sort of ingrained rhythm in it and and those black leaders do that uh really well and um I do want to read this quote. We could just read Stan Brackage quotes all day, so I, 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 I won't, <laughs> I won't sort of drown us in, in in Brackage rhetoric. But this this paragraph I really love, where um, it was to a letter to Rana Page, which I couldn't find anywhere, but I'd love to read the whole letter. Um, he said, uh, "The more informed I became with the aesthetics of sound, uh, the less I began to feel any need for an audio accompaniment." to the visuals I was making, uh, the more silently oriented my creative philosophies have become, the more inspired by music have my photographic aesthetics and my actual editing orders become. Um, he says some other stuff. I won't read the whole thing, but those black leaders to me are very important to that philosophy. You know. So I sent you guys an interview that he basically did with himself yesterday. I don't know if you had a chance to watch it, but one thing that stuck out to me is he's just sitting in front of a camera and like he's talking about like I've never just stared at a camera before and it's it's worth a watch um but he talks about how he thinks sound is a blind alley because when sound is associated with an image he said it makes it more difficult to see like talking in the grand concept do you feel that sound in his films would distract from the overall image um, 100%. Uh, I think yeah. his sound films are among the weaker of his films, uh, the ones that I've seen. Uh, I'm now blanking on the specific names of any, but uh, he has sound films. And to his point about them uh, uh, making it harder to see, when, when, when you have a sa- once you have a sound associated with an image, like, it naturally becomes like Mickey Mouse. They can't help it. Like it's, you can only associate it with a specific emotion, a specific action. I, I really do think f- film as an art lost a lot when it added sound. I'm very much a luddite in that respect. Um, I think I think dialogue is bad. I think uh, I think musical <laughs> accompaniment is bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a manipulation to sound, right? And I mean, I I never thought about this before, but um, in one of the articles you sent me, Bennett, there was an artist who is talking some major s about Oscar Fischinger, and I love Oscar Fischinger, but. I understood what he was saying because his because Fischinger's films are so symmetrical, they're so ordered, and they're all synced so closely to the sound. Or at least, um, the one I'm thinking of is called an optical poem, which is a wonderful film. But uh, it's very orderly, and you could see the manipulation in it, where it's almost like a spell, sort of like enchanting the viewer. And sound is really powerful, and I think not having sound in these films opens the door for the visual music that he wants to create. I think it sort of would take away the whole endeavor, you know? I don't know. It's it's such a cliche to talk about, like, how it's more powerful or more scary or more, like, sexy or whatever to, like, have it be, like, something you create in a, in a movie. But, like, I, I, I think Stan Brackett is... The majority of his filmography is, like, an argument for that idea. Like, the films are so much more powerful for being able to accompany them with whatever you want. So now with his films, like, unlike a lot of people, I think he probably has the most interesting things to say about his own work. Whereas, you know, I watched an interview preparing for the last episode of Split Picks where Guillermo del Toro interviewed the Coen brothers. 
most of the interesting stuff was coming from Guillermo del Toro, like <laughs> probing them on their own films. But I feel like if you were to interview Brackage, like he would be the one guiding the conversation about what's going on in his films, I think in almost 100% of the cases. Yeah. I, um, I mean, I, his, his work and the intention behind them and the intense meaning behind them really calls into question that the, the use of a term like experimental film, uh, it was a term he really hated. He thought it did a disservice to filmmakers and scientists. Um, yeah, I, everything I've ever watched from him, um, as, as tossed off as this sort of stuff can seem um, to kind of a novice viewer, uh, for lack of a better word, um, I, I think if you'd asked him about, you know, Persian series number six, uh, he'd have told you why, you know, specific strokes of paint look the way they did. I think if someone wants to champion why sort of film analysis or film studies has sort of like a practical application in these films and sort of giving us, you know, ideas and philosophy. Like Brackage is the guy because it seems like he had this intention that sort of Bennett is talking about where he wants to give you, you know, something. He's not just like giving you some entertainment or just an experience. There's also these like kernels of ideas, especially in delicacies and commingled that he wants to sort of transfer to you. I, it, it, you know, it was certainly tough with me, you know, diving into his films before, but now the intention is you know, very, very clear when you watch it like three or four times, which I know is asking a lot from people to watch a film like four times, but he sort of demands that with, you know, how much he cared about each of these works. And part of that too is he, he talked about um, his films as kind of like being given to him to make. He talked about entering like a trance state that he would be in for like days at a time when he was making films. Uh, in one of the Brackage on Brackage interviews in the Blu-ray, he says he'd basically gotten to a point where he could tune out any sound that wasn't like one of his children in distress. Anything else that happened, he would, you know, tune it out and, and be focused on the film. Um, and I think for that reason, he's one of the few filmmakers where it's actually interesting to hear them talk about their own work because, like, one gets the sense that he is kind of after the fact going, okay, so what was, what was, like, the muse telling me? You know, what... What 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 was I getting at here? Um, I don't. I'm generally of a mind that like the least interesting person to hear talk about their own work is the director themselves, and he is like the exception to that rule because I think his his kind of like endless curiosity uh, included uh, exploration of his own work. Yeah, I've been really interested in that trance state that some filmmakers talk about too. Like Robert Gardner talked a lot about that when he would sort of be submerged in an experience or a place and he would just let the camera sort of guide him. Like he said that a lot in Forest of Bliss where there are these weird shots where he has these pans over to like pieces of cloth or like specific people. And that trance state is something that I think about a lot with, with, with filmmakers of this mind, which I'm sure like, you know, people, like maybe you could make a connection between like Gardner and Brackage and how they looked at film in general. I mean, going off him having the most to say about his own films, we haven't even touched on the idea that he also says this is about, like, the hypnagogic state of whatever that means. Rob, you seem to understand that portion better than I ever could, so do you want to yeah. take that? So I, I, it came to me yesterday. I was been thinking about this so much, and I barely understood what that word even meant until, like, 12 hours ago. But... You know, I'll try. I'll try and wrap my head around it because it's it's pretty it's pretty uh, confusing stuff. But so hypnagogic is uh, relating to the state immediately before falling asleep. 
So there, it's sort of used in different contexts in this film. For one, it's about, uh, I think, to me, the relationship between abstraction and the way that, you know, people like Brackage make films and television, or I guess you could just say mainstream media presentations of, you know, art or entertainment. So the feeling of, you know, going to sleep and you're going between these, the state of waking and the state of dreams is sort of like the relationship between the abstraction vying for space with the, the TV screen. And you're, you're in this sort of gray area between these two minds or even like perspectives. And that creates this sort of mind bending quality to the film. Um, and also part of the hypnagogic, you know, paragraph, I guess the description he gives is that one is sort of resisting the other, like the, the optical nerves are resisting the luminescent light. So I sort of take it that, you know, filmmakers like him are almost like resisting that other way to make film in some ways, like the abstraction is sort of vying for space with the TV. It seems like with such a complex filmmaker, it's hard to make that like one-to-one comparison, but it's sort of unavoidable in this film, like how these two completely different ways of expression are, you know, fighting for screen space. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, and, And other than that, I think it's just an interesting experience like human experience like i like i was saying like you know i've always had trouble with sleeping since i was a little child and so like i know a little lad so i know that space between uh waking and and sleeping very well and i think he captures almost like the confusion but also like the crazy fever dream-esque quality of that state of mind it's a state of mind that's easily associated with television too um yeah i think you associate sort of channel surfing with sort of falling in and out of sleep. And it's, uh, the, the uh, y- you talk about the TV aesthetic sort of intruding upon his own. It's it's literalized in the film with this sort of, I, I don't know what to describe it other than like visual white noise uh, sort of overlaying the, the kind of painted on frames. Um, that TV-ish quality, that sort of buzz, um, which... I don't know, he characterizes it as being horrible, and I generally think of TV as being horrible, but I do find that visual white noise so, so comforting. I don't know, like for me, yeah. that's like that's like sitting in front of the hearth. Yeah, I feel I feel the same way. That's why I'm sort of divided about his, his views about TV in this film, because that, that white frame just makes me feel very warm and comfy inside. It's home. It's, <laughs> it's home, home, baby. <laughs> it's, it's awesome. But at the same time, then the abstraction starts bubbling up and it looks like it looks like this crazy it almost looks like a chandelier like there are these different forms of abstraction in this film and one of them are these sort of they look like almost shards of like luminous glass that are falling falling upwards if that makes any sense and that usually denotes like when the tv is going to disappear when the the tv screen is going to disappear so it's there's almost like this conflict of aesthetics in the film which is which is incredible as well but it, you know, I'm comforted by both things in different ways, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Do, do you think, do you think the film is him? Um, do you, do you see it as like a despairing film or do you see it as a, a somewhat triumphant one? Is, is he accepting that aesthetic uh, grudgingly, I guess, do you think? I, to me, I've been thinking about this a lot because I, I was going back and forth. To me, it's triumphant because the abstraction remains like if the tv screen appeared 
and then the abstraction was just wiped away completely and didn't return, then I think it would be a very depressing view about where filmmakers like Brackage, or not just filmmakers like Brackage, where this like technique of film or this way of looking at cinema exists is, you know, it could just be sort of wiped off the face of the earth. But the fact that it keeps coming back and appearing and sort of thriving to me is like very hopeful um, that like within the null space of the TV screen, something more complex can emerge, you know? Yeah. I, I, I like to think that he's, um, I don't know if anything, if nothing else, TV has at least like invited a new way of seeing and he's like, well, yeah. if you can't beat him, join him in that respect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And again, like thankfully he didn't live to see prestige TV. Oh, jeez. Yes. Thank God. Every time I turn on HBO, <laughs> I go, thank God Stan Brackage is dead. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so he has said, you know, this is about TV, hypnagogic things. What's your emotional understanding of this film? Like, what do you take away from this? So for me, uh, watching abstract animation or or a film like this is actually sometimes a more powerful experience because it feels like pure emotion. Um, so it's like rather than, you know, trying to empathize with characters or situations or events or climaxes, what have you, um, this fe- these films feel like they connect with me like on a chemical level. It's like so, like very visceral, powerful experience, which is, I think, different than a lot of the rhetoric around these films. Sometimes people could say they're like cold or scientific or detached or pretentious and and sort of divorced from everyday experience. Like to me, this is like as close as you can get to the human experience as possible because it's just pure, undivided, you know, emotion. Yeah, he's often um, compared to the abstract expressionists. And uh, one way in which he said he was consciously uh, aping the abstract expressionists was in the evocation of closed eye vision. Um, I I don't know, you, you watch a narrative film and like, I don't know, like, I've, I've never been a journalist, or I've never been married, or I've never, I don't know, I've never lived in Chicago or something like there's, there's all these different barriers to being able to relate to a narrative film. But like, I don't know, we've all, we've all closed our eyes and dazzled at the, uh, I don't know, play of shape and color. Uh, so to, to, to characterize his films as alienating seems to really like miss the mark to me uh, when, when, when people do do that. All right, well, I think that probably wraps up Delicacies of Molten Horror Synapse. Why don't we take a quick break and we'll be right back with commingled containers. Is that the one with the karate? What? I um, have completely forgotten what a Stephen King movie is. Hi, I'm Sam Hain. Come on <laughs> down to the used pumpkin market. Synesthesia, a movie podcast with Jason Michaelich and Jim Hickox. It's time again. From Split Tooth Media. So, in 1996, Stan Brackage makes his return to photography film after years of painting on film. Bennett, can you give us the story behind this project and what made him return to this medium? Um, Yeah. Uh, So, basically, in 1996, uh, Stan Brackage was diagnosed with bladder cancer. And um, a couple weeks before, he had kind of rented a camera on a whim and um, walking away from the doctor's uh, basically learning that he was going to have to have kind of exploratory surgery to see whether he would need his bladder removed. He plunged his camera into uh, Boulder Creek, and uh, the rest is history, <laughs> as they say. Uh, created, I don't know, for my money, the uh, cinema's best evocation of infinity. Um, 
I think it's it, it's in keeping with his whole mission that his film about death and dying would be rigorously unsentimental and yet, uh, I don't know, really beautiful. Because, I don't know, his films about childhood are similar. His films about uh, sex are similar. His films about, you know, just day-to-day life are similar. So you mentioned this is your most watched film, or most logged film on Letterboxd, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, uh, 27. <laughs> 27, Okay. <laughs> So what keeps bringing you back? Uh, I think the I think the colors are really pretty. I think the uh, <laughs> I think the I think the shades of blue are really wonderful. Um, I don't know. I think it's it manages in like three minutes to um, like if 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 one were going to watch a single Brackage film, this is the one I would recommend because despite the fact that I believe it's all just photography, I don't think there's any like painted on celluloid in this it manages to um, kind of evoke every aesthetic he ever used in his career. There's stuff that kind of looks like his scratched on uh, films. There's stuff that looks like his painted on films. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I, I think biographical readings of films are generally like so easy and so lazy. Uh, I, I tend to resist those, but like, I don't know for a guy who obviously was um, such a interesting critic of his own work and who was, mining such uh, biographical material for his films i think they're really useful and it, it's hard not to be moved by a film knowing that like the guy thought it was going to be his last film and was sort of making this as like uh well i'm staring into the void <laughs> um i don't know something about that is it, it's always appealing the the, the the notion of staring into the void uh whatever emotion you're feeling is usually uh i don't know it's an itch worth scratching to to mix my metaphors uh hor- horrifically <laughs> I mean, and on that note too, if that's what the void looks like, I'm I'm good with the void because right. the void is incredibly beautiful. I think that's why this film is so inspiring too. You know. Oh, that's another point. Um, I, it, when people talk about like um like life on other planets, we always talk about like how how narcissistic are we that we assume that like life on other planets would look anything like ours? And I really like that Brackage's evocation of the afterlife or of whatever happens when when you die looks nothing like earth uh like every cinematic evocation of heaven is like you know dudes standing on clouds people with like harps and wings and stuff and it's like well, what what told us it would look like this like renaissance art informed by you know well it would probably just look like a better version of today um i i really like that brackage i don't know forces you to really think about like well what would it look like what would it look like to just sort of i don't know live in this sort of sensory experience for eternity and one thing I really like about this one is it does start like it's very clearly water at first, but then it kind of morphs into just like, is this water molecules, you know, and then it kind of goes into this, like, I'm not sure what I'm seeing anymore. What do you see as like the juxtaposition of like the very clearly defined versus a more abstract view of water? Well, one of the things I really like is that within like a couple of seconds, we're, we're sort of thrown off of our axis that first shot of the sort of ripples of water it starts moving like right to left and then starts moving up to down and then starts moving like in and out there's no we're not sure what access to like orient ourselves on and um i guess uh, what i like about it there is that um i i think it becomes kind of a um the, the title becomes a metaphor commingled containers refers to a type of recycling where every type of material you might recycle is uh recycled in a a single receptacle and i like that um 
the film in its various evocations of water manages to be a container for a bunch of different feelings that water might evoke. We're occasionally just drifting and occasionally we're drowning, you know, occasionally water is like filling up our lungs. Um, and then occasionally there's those shots where it almost feels like you're in like a drip coffee machine or something. It's like a slow, like water torture versus being drowned. Um, there's, there's so many different feelings evoked again in, in just three minutes folks watch this film if you haven't seen it <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is definitely in my opinion the most emotional brackage that i've seen i've only seen 12 which is to say very few which is a weird thing to say for a guy that's made you know like over 350 films or whatever this is such a devastating film not just knowing the biography but the emotions of the aesthetics is just incredible so all right so one thing brett my brother brought up is that Brackage mentions his influence from Gertrude Stein and how he looked at repetition differently after reading her work. Um, here's a quote from him saying, Stein gave me the courage to let images recur in this fashion in such a manner that there is no sense of repetition. And so he's talking about how, you know, when you just keep showing the same image over and over and over again, they all become their own thing. I mean, how, how do you feel about him just breaking patterns in that way and the motion and color that's created through these repeated actions. Um, yeah, I, I, I think uh, Stein is a very interesting person to associate with uh, uh, Brackage. Um, I, and I think the, the repetition is an interesting theme. Um, I, I, I think um, one thing from Stein that Brackage captures really well is that there's um, the same thing can mean a lot of different things in different contexts. And I think one film of his that captures that really beautifully is uh, The Wondering. I don't know if you watched that one in, uh, in, in preparing. Is that the train? Station? That's the train one. Yeah. And I think I, I think that gives you a good example of kind of the I don't know. Maybe I'm talking more at like Wallace Stevens than Stein, but like it, it shows you the 13 ways of looking at like a train car. Basically, there's like you, one one can look at it as a commuter, one can look at it as a child, one can look at it as someone who's longing for this human attachment, one can look at it as someone who's just like counting down the seconds till they can get off the freaking train. Um, I um, I, I I think he he much like Stein um, in 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 forcing you to kind of confront the same word or the same image. Yeah, I don't know. Makes you very conscious of that. I mean, for me, th this I I like this quote a lot because I think this is a very dramatic thing to say, but I think repetition is sort of the gateway to enjoying much more complex films or cinema like Brackage. You know, like when I when I think the first time I thought of that was like Brisson, like watching Lions a lot of the lake, and you see that jousting sequence, and it's just so so repetitive, where you see horse, knight, audience, flag trumpet but they're all slightly different and they all commingle i not to use the pun they all like combine into this like very different feelings and you know i think that's you know the gateway to enjoying someone like brackage is realizing that like not every frame is exactly the same or even if it is it changes when it when it combines with each other so other than you know obvious time restrictions because he had you know cancer surgery the next day why do you think he returned to photography after years of doing painted on film work uh, yeah I, I i don't know other than uh kind of a feeling of why not um it seemed like it was sort of a uh, a kind of a go for broke gesture from him very literally because it was financial constraints that had forced him to uh painting 
on celluloid. Uh, an interesting note that I actually forgot to mention in my notes was that the, the sort of bladder cancer he got was apparently caused by dyes he had used painting on films. So the man was like very literally like killed by his vocation, um, which is, um, I don't know, again, like one of those things that like however hacky is also sort of uh, sort of profound, right? Definitely. I just learned that today and it blew me away that, I mean, he even said it was like the alkalines that he used or whatever gave him the cancer and like knowing that must have been insane for Brackage. What would you say are the major differences or even similarities between his photography work and his painted works? Or is there a distinction? Um, I, I would say they're both, um, they're similar in the sense that they're both about kind of, um, unmooring us from what we've been led to believe is the one way we're supposed to consume film. Um, I don't know. I, I've never really heard him talk about whether one was about something else. I think they were probably both in keeping with the same mission. Um, I don't know, Rob, do you, do you know anything about his, his particular philosophy of painting on film? Not, not his specifically, but it's a tricky question because I think that's sort of, you see the same stylistic trademarks in both, but there's a definite difference in how he like treats space and commingled containers and delicacies, at least to me, like, you know, those like scallop patterns that you have in commingled, like those white scalloping patterns are like, are something that I, I at least didn't see in like his more painted on work. There seems to be more of like, I know it's, it's, it's so, it's so complex. <laughs> it's so like hard to talk about how Brackage uses like space. Cause he does it in a jillion different ways you know i guess another um like thing he was achieving here craig was kind of like bringing it full circle i mean here he's very much evoking his painted on films with photography um i think as we sort of mentioned introducing the film yeah i mean that yeah i mean that blue in the beginning it looks like rain almost like there are these waves of of blue like you were talking about as the camera moves you know up and down side to side that that feels very much like the 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 waves of color that you see in his painted stuff, you know? So I think what made me think of it as a, you know, diff the different mediums is Bennett, you mentioned a quote here where he talks about watching Jackson Pollock work in person and how he just saw it as like basically a trance state. But I, I just find it interesting to think of like painting on film, like, yeah, that could be seen as like a trance state where you have a blank slate, but when you have a camera in your hand, like, it's more capturing things you're seeing. So I don't know if that clarifies it at all. <laughs> but I, I guess what, what do you think about the idea of the trance state in phot photographic work versus hand-painted work? Um, I, this, uh, for all of his associations with the abstract expressionists, I mean, this seems like the most he was ever evoking that with um, camera in hand. This seems like the most sort of... Uh, gestural filmmaking um, you can see from him and I, I don't know I mean maybe it's just because there's nothing like uh, th there's no figures in the frame but um, I, I, I don't know it seems yeah again like uh, t to use a horrible pun it seems like a mingling of those two impulses here I completely agree yeah I mean I especially with the color of the film like the color design um is so fluid, not another pun. We're just going to say puns over and over again. <laughs> get them out, get them yeah, out. <laughs> yeah, but you know, the color, the color in, 
and commingled is so fluid and and uh and like how it interacts with those sort of white like slow explosions they look like slow explode i don't know what they look like they look like scallops they look like things that you know that are just sort of growing in frame almost like microbes or something and the the tra- the transition between those and these waves of blue are very painterly at least to me so bennett you read the it's basically the first paragraph in his book um about how he approaches film but you know essentially what he's getting at is if we eliminate definition the idea of knowing what a word or an image means experiencing just sight itself becomes its own thing and that's why i think this one's so interesting where he's facing down death and he is literally trying to make us reconsider how we view an element you know (laughs) yeah i um i i think it's first of all i mean it's like very moving that like up until like the last moment he was still that uh curious that uh hungry for sort of a new experience because um i don't know like it's it's easy to lose sight of in watching the film but like brackage also had no idea what the film was going to turn out to look like too you know i i i hesitate to call someone like the greatest filmmaker of all time but i feel like he's kind of like peerless when it comes to the sort of like uh enormity of his vision uh and also like the uh the furor with which he uh pursued his uh mission um i uh i don't know i i i I can't imagine having a cancer diagnosis and then deciding like i need to go create i don't know i think like 99 people out of 100 would sort of like retreat within themselves and uh i don't know stan brackage uh creates maybe the best film ever made (laughs) so rob one thing you recently interviewed jody max she's an experimental filmmaker I really liked how she said to approach, like how she teaches her students to approach abstract film, just look at it like it's a sunset rather than this is a film. I feel like Brackage really does that, like, because you look at this and it's like, okay, this is water, but at the same time, it's like, it doesn't matter that it's water, you know? Yeah. I was so glad she said that because I'm going to use that for ever now. Um, she really gave me like a like a pearl to use for for all time. And um, Jody Mack, for people who don't know, she's an abstract animator herself, and she makes these most a lot of them silent as well. So you know, I'm sure she would agree with a lot of the thoughts that that Brackage had. And um, it's interesting because when you're talking about liking this sort of film and you're you're introducing it to people, it's very difficult to to get someone interested to watch this film if you're just like. Um, it's a it's a bunch of moth wings taped to a film chart. Maybe that's a little more dramatic. But you know, talking about like oh, it's just abstract line and color. Um, you know, it it's, it doesn't have the draw that Titanic does. But um, when she talks about you know, if you're watching delicacies or commingled, like you watch a sunset, it's very different than being like strapped into a roller coaster ride. You're sort of sitting there reveling in it as an experience. And it's very focused on like the experiential nature of art which i think is very like nutritious if you want to use kind of a loaded word like that to me that's something that sort of adds to to you as like a person even that's like a dumb way to say it but like the feeling that you get watching a beautiful sunset is like momentous and that's how to me like films should feel and that's how i think brackage felt that like film should feel as well knowing that he approached this as his final film. I want to ask you about the ending because 
so you know it's mostly just this beautiful blue color there's obviously changes throughout but in the final seconds it turns yellow kind of flashes and then fades to white like what do you make of this ending and what's going on here uh so if i if i can deign to criticize bracket for a second here i think he puts a little <laughs> bit too fine a point on the last couple frames of this film um to me it was very reminiscent of the ending of last temptation of christ which i think is itself supposed to be kind of riffing on on, on brackage and the like um you'll remember of course at the ending of last temptation of uh, of the christ when um like the film sort of breaks from the camera and we get just sort of like white light coming through with the the film strip um kind of going off to the side um th- this reminded me of that uh it's sort of the camera coming to the surface in a couple of respects it's 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 not only coming out from under the water but it's seemingly sort of ascending and i don't know i for a filmmaker who never like told us how to feel or what to think i think so obviously ending with like the ascension to heaven is like like i said puts a little too fine a point on it it's funny i think i just learned today that i think somewhere online someone said oh scorsese has like stills of moth light on his wall it says that on, it like says that. that on his wikipedia page and i couldn't find um like the the, the source yeah wh- where are they citing that from it is so interesting to think about a filmmaker like scorsese being so inspired by by someone like brackage because their films are just could not be more different you know what i mean like at the end of the day they are opposite ends of the spectrum you know what I mean? Like, like people even thinking like Scorsese was inspired by the like, Cassavetes is like closer to what Scorsese is than, you know, Brackage or something. I would love to see like a Brackage style Scorsese film. I wonder what he would do with like abstract animation or something instead of just making another mobster movie. So given this ending, do you feel it kind of, I mean, I guess if you haven't been exposed to the story behind it, like, do you think that ending would be a similar idea? Like, oh yes, it's a happy ending i mean can you can you deduce that this is a happy ending or what um i see i don't think we can call it a happy ending because i don't think brackage himself would call it a happy ending i think the whole point is that that kind of unknowing you know i think it's uh it's an uncertain ending and i think whether or not you interpret it as a happy or or you know a, a neutral ending kind of depends on your own spiritual leanings i guess it's like a lady or the tiger sort of ending yeah i mean i i really appreciate that part of this film and his films in general um when people say that oh you can take different ideas from films or have a different experience when you watch a film like this is these are the epitome of that um because when i when i watch this film it's it's sad because i know the biography but it's also very hopeful in that uh the ether looks so incredibly beautiful and even in the end like having that ending you know also gives me sort of hope in my uh agnostic brain that's another thing too is it's it's i like i i realize what a hypocrite i am in like championing brackage's films this guy who like really like believed that like god was like speaking through him in his films basically as like someone who has not a spiritual bone in his body like there, there's a yeah. certain part of me yeah. that sort of roll my rolls my eyes at some of this but like i don't know it, it's a testament to brackage's powers as an artist that like e- even i am moved by commingled containers yeah i'm in the same exact place i agree um uh, Craig, have you seen Chinese series, his actual uh, last film? Uh, I don't believe so, no. Oh, wor- worth watching. It's also just a, a couple minutes long. And it's um, 
it's not as hopeful an ending as this. Like I'm glad commingled no. containers exist because like it's a it's a great grace note for for his career. He even says in the interview with Scott like I almost wish it was my final film because it's so great. Um uh Chinese series he was on his deathbed and was like wetting film strips with his saliva and like scratching into them. Um so you're watching it and it's like you're watching like the EKG of like someone who's dying. It's really I I find it like upsetting. <laughs> It's so upsetting. It's like the embodiment of death throws, if that makes sense. It's just in, in the beginning, it's like, oh man, this looks like a ballet. Like this is incredible. These like scratch marks, and then when it sort of picks up speed, you're like, oh no. Oh, it's like, <laughs> like someone like oh, hacking no. to death. Oh no. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's just like, oh god, what is <laughs> what is what is happening? Like you know. So it starts off like, oh my god, it's so graceful, and then it becomes very disturbing, like aesthetically. So as much as I find the ending of this like a little obvious, I'm glad it exists in his career to give us sort of like, uh, I don't know, like a, a perfect note to end on. If, if when we're programming a brackage class, you can't imagine a better note to end on than commingled containers. So where did he go after this as a filmmaker? Um, so from my understanding, he did a, a little of everything. Um, I think the only films of his that I've seen after this, I think, are the uh, the Persian series, which are painted on stuff, and then also the the Chinese series, which is scratched on emulsion. But I think he also continued to do photo uh, photograph stuff. Uh, he's got a film called Panels for the Walls of Heaven, which I'd really like to see. I know he did a painted on film on like IMAX film strips. So he basically, by the end of his career, had worked on everything from Super 8 to, to IMAX, which is kind of incredible. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, looking at sort of the technical breadth of who Brackage was, like who who more apt or learned to like teach film courses? All right, well, any final thoughts on coming with containers? Folks, uh, I think the film speaks for itself. You know, I uh, to, to return to Rob's <laughs> idea of a sunset, does one look at a sunset and go, ah, damn, you know, I wish it had ended differently. Ah, fuck, you know, I, 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 I wish it was, I wish that purple was a little bit different. No, you don't. Um, so you should watch commingled containers and think about it. Yeah. The same way you think about a sunset or, uh, I don't know, a kitten or something like w- w- something in nature <laughs> that, that you don't judge for, for, for maybe it's a kind of stupid ending. <laughs> I, I wholeheartedly agree. You should just sort of sit back and let your, let your mind wander as you enjoy one of the most, you know, aesthetically beautiful, sorry, Stan, experimental films that, you know, I think exists. I, I would say though, wait, to, to return to like uh, the idea of what adjective we should use, uh, since I do nothing but pass off Scott McDonald's ideas as my own, I'll uh, I'll steal another one here. He um, he he took to calling it uh, critical cinema, and it's it's critical mm-hmm. cinema both in it in in the respect that it is uh, of critical importance, and critical in the sense that it criticizes you know traditional modes. So uh, if you're ever looking for the right way to say avant garde, maybe try calling it critical cinema. Thank you. <laughs> So we'll wrap this up, split picks. We end it with picking which one you feel is the supreme picture. Bennett, you uh, may have referenced that this might be the all-time greatest film ever made. So why don't we start with you? Because I think I have a feeling what the answer is. I I know I just spent a few minutes saying that I don't like how it ends. But uh, hey, who likes how life ends anyway, right? Uh, uh, Commingled containers, yeah, it has to be. uh, Even if I didn't know the sort of uh, context for its existence, uh, I don't know. You watch this movie, you throw this on, you're not having a bad time. Um, Yeah, I... I give the slight edge. They're both five stars for me on Letterboxd, which, uh, as, as you know, is a rating I don't throw around lightly. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's hard to choose against commingled, at least to me. I, like, personally, on a my level, I just love painted on film strips so much that I would lean towards delicacies. But I'm I'm choosing commingled because I think it's it's the maybe the best brackage film I've seen, for sure. I think Mothlight has a really uh, special place in my heart because it was the first one I saw, and it it's one that I keep coming back to. But I think commingled is sort of unmatched for just the the thunderous impact it has maybe thunderous is not the word but it feels thunderous on yeah. on on me the yeah. the impact it has like waves crashing against the rocks yeah, the yeah. cascading yeah. impact yeah yeah but if it was if it was me uh divorced from that i would pick delicacies but you know commingled for the win it's hard to argue against that one I've, i'd probably pick commingled containers as well all right. Well, any final thoughts before we hit the old dusty trail? Uh, Craig, I did have a question for you because you sort of implied up at the top that you were um, maybe a little bit more skeptical uh, of Brackage and his work. I, I, anything more to say on that? Care to, care to defend yourself? Care to defend your honor? <laughs> I, I really enjoy watching his stuff, but I do feel like I don't grasp it all. I mean, like Brett and I were talking yesterday and I just said, like, you know, a lot of his stuff reminds me of free jazz. I don't often just, like, listen to a free jazz song once and be like, yeah, I get it. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of stuff that I'll, like, listen to, kind of put away for three months, and then come back to it and be like, okay, that's really cool. And it kind of clicks late for me. So I'm go- I'm not giving up on him. I respect the hell out of this man. So, <laughs> I mean, just the way he writes is, like, God, I wish I could have one thought that good someday. And then you read the next sentence, and it's like, damn it, he did it again. So I'm working my way up to him. <laughs> I mean, I, at least to me, not understanding these films wholly is what makes them very interesting as well. That's another part. Like, I know we've just spent an hour analyzing the the crap out of all of these films and trying to, you know, get all of the ideas from them. But also not understanding is very exciting in film because you know i don't know about you guys but i grew up with films that you could understand and then just like walk away and go about your day and feel no differently because they were just sort of you know pop experiences and these are films you know not to be cliche that you can sort of grow with and live with for you know the rest of your life so folks if you're thinking uh hey you know i i haven't done too much of that book learning i don't get these uh these art (laughs) these art films have you ever have you ever closed your eyes and 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 wondered at the at the dazzling shapes and colors? Then you you can appreciate uh, Stan Brackage or uh, I don't know Len Lai or or whomever. This is the type of thing that no one but him could make, mm-hmm. and that's where my brain goes to. Like, I know it's great. I'm not there yet, so I'm working on it. I'm not quitting yet. So. <laughs> hey, we're all on this journey together, Craig. Excellent. <laughs> now we can pull up to the drive-in. Am I right, Rob? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Woo. All right. Well, I think that probably wraps it up. Thank you guys so much for joining us. And obviously, we mentioned Art House Drive-In right there. New episodes every Monday. Bennett, what are you up to? Anything you want to plug? or Follow me on uh, Twitter, at FilmPilled. Follow me on Letterboxd. Uh, just my name, Bennett Glace. Um, I, I recently got rid of all of my uh, half-star ratings. I'm only using full stars now. Uh, took a couple hours when I was supposed to be working on Friday morning to do that. It's the season of giving. Yeah. Uh, see which see which films got bumped up to five stars. See which got bumped down to four. 
Um, yeah, Ooh. anyway. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us. This has been great. I forgot to say this at the beginning, so I'm Craig Wright, <laughs> by the way. Um, yeah, we'll have more episodes coming soon, and... You can find all things Split Tooth on our website, www.splittoothmedia.com. Like in my head, he's like on the prow of a ship, you know what I mean? Like like holding up a like a flag or, you know, or something like that, or he's, you know, going off into virgin territory or something. Like it's very inspiring and sort of swashbuckling. Even I wonder if he thought of himself as like a swashbuckling artist, but in my head, that's what he's like a cowboy or something like that.